welcome to Letters to Our Yesterday, a podcast inspired by extraordinary women. I believe that one of the greatest strengths women have are each other. We often support, guide, encourage and inspire each other. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking to many incredible women about their life journey and together we will explore what advice they would give their younger self. To me, Cheryl is the definition of a community-minded person. She teaches English to adults in a college, but this is only the beginning of her role. She opens her heart and her home to newly arrived Australians, creating a unique community in which they can form support networks and friendships. Cheryl, could you tell me a little bit about um, your journey to becoming a teacher? I was living in the Middle East mm-hmm. and I kept, I was getting very bored. Um, one day I was in a supermarket and this lady came up to me and said, mm-hmm. can, you speak me, can you teach me English? So I said, I'm not a teacher. And she said, well, it doesn't matter, just talk to me. Mm-hmm. So I said, yes, all right. So we started having these conversations and uh, quickly this grew into there was one person and then there was another person. And then a lady um, stopped me in the supermarket. Again, I was in the supermarket. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, uh, can you teach me English? And, uh, English is very broken. She's from Hungary. And her husband was working um, for an international football team over there. And he got more money working for a, um, a local club than he did working for the national team of Hungary. So she was over there marooned in her apartment mm-hmm. and she's a very clever lady. Um, so she didn't have anything to do. Uh, she couldn't speak Arabic and she couldn't speak English. So she became my first student, mm-hmm. my first proper student. So basically, I started off teaching her how you would teach a child, because just following my instinct, mm-hmm. um, teaching her little songs, nursery rhymes, going out shopping with her, um, having afternoon tea, getting her to order tea and coffee mm-hmm. in English, and uh, quickly we, we built up this very good friendship. Mm-hmm. And um, my other students were of all different nationalities, there were um, Arab, Arabic, mm-hmm. um, 35 different nationalities. Mm-hmm. So I had Syrians, I had Kuwaitis, I had people from Iraq, Iran. And where did you teach them? Did you in my home. In your home. In my home. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a voluntary basis. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't expect money for something that I enjoyed doing mm-hmm. because as you can tell, mm-hmm. I like talking yeah. anyway. So it wasn't a, it didn't feel like work to me, but they insisted on paying me, yeah. and um, didn't have any money to, uh, had money, no, no, sorry, there was no shops to spend the money, mm. uh, the money because there was, there was a Gucci and Chanel, but nothing in between, really? two dollar shops, really? so I used wow. to spend, I used to save up, and I used to call it my gold fund, yeah. I used to 
by gold. Enjoy teaching. Mm. And then uh, my daughter, who was only five, she was in the International English School in Kuwait. Mm. It was called the New English School. And it was run by um, an English curriculum standard and um, very high standard, actually. And uh, I got a job there as an assistant teacher. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the year, because it was such a, it was a private school and we had so much money over there, just to throw away all their resources, mm. just throw everything away and start again for the following year. Wow. So I used to go to the teachers and say, don't throw anything away that you don't mm. want, um, give it to me. Mm. And so I built, I, I made a school out of my own, out of these things that they were throwing away mm. in my apartment. I had a very nice apartment, mm. it was sort of um, six bedrooms on two floors, mm. and um, my husband was working for the Navy over mm. there. So, um, anyway, I was working as an assistant teacher, and I was watching, I was watching how they were teaching the children, mm -hmm. and so I used to mimic that in my lessons mm. when I was teaching the ladies mm. English. And um, after a while, I thought, maybe I should get a qualification. So I applied to London University mm -hmm. and did an ESL qualification um, over the internet. Yeah. And it was over just correspondence. Past that, without even having to work very hard, because mm -hmm. I was just basically telling them what I was doing. And yeah. that was the right way, believe it or not. <laughs> and I couldn't believe I was doing everything the teacher would do. Yeah, and then um, when I came back to Australia, we were there for six years. Yeah, uh, I really missed teaching, and um, I was I decided to go to university and do a degree. Mm -hmm. uh, so I went to Macquarie and did uh, five years a BA Diphed. Yeah, and then I added on extra qualifications for teaching ESL, English mm -hmm. as a Second Language, because that's where I felt most comfortable. Yeah. I love mm -hmm. teaching children, but I especially like teaching children from other countries mm -hmm. and, and adults as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, after I'd qualified as mm -hmm. a teacher, I'd done five years at university, uh, my husband got sick, mm. and um, one day he was okay, and the next day he became quadriplegic mm. due to uh, medical negligence. Mm. Uh, anyway, that's a, yeah. another story. Um, so I decided that um, I was going to carry on teaching, but mm -hmm. I have to do it in a sort of part-time way. Yeah. So I was a casual teacher. And then I was trying to get a more and more work doing ESL. Mm -hmm. I was finding that a struggle because you needed more qualifications. I had to go through the accreditation process, which is quite lengthy, as you know. Yeah. So I did my accreditation, and then I uh, went back to Macquarie University and did the TESOL qualification, teaching English as a second language for people uh, are listening to this, they don't mm. know, and it's quite hard, and anyway, I got through that, and then um, I still couldn't get really work, proper mm. work, so I needed to work, because it made me feel alive, mm. um, love, 
teaching. Mm. Absolutely love teaching. It's not like a like a work for me. Mm. It's more like um, a pastime with lots of pleasure. Yeah. What do you think it is specifically about the teaching that you love the most? Is it the connection with the person you're teaching, or is it seen as achievement? It's a bit of both, yeah. actually. I like. I like it, I really enjoy it when I see somebody doing well. Mm. And I love hearing the different stories, especially if they're um, from another country, yeah. because they come with such rich knowledge yeah. of their background. And I feel sort of like I want to empower them, because some of these people who come to our country, Australia, I want to give them dignity, I want to sort of help them succeed and do really well because some of them have been through terrible times yeah. and I think some people don't just don't understand they just yeah. don't know what it is to struggle yeah. and uh, I particularly love the Tibetan community mm-hmm. um, after trying to get work I sort of gave up and thought well I'll be a mentor because I saw an advert in the paper wanting mentors for the Tibetan community. So I was doing this mentoring course, and then the lady who was in charge of the course said to me, look, you've got all these teaching qualifications. And she says, I've got this student who is struggling a lot with his English, Mm -hmm. and he's trying to get through TAFE to become uh, good enough to go to university to study as a social worker. So she, she said, would you help him? And I said, yes, of course. So he came around to the house. It was absolutely delightful. Mm. And uh, started teaching him. We became great friends. And um, he started coming around and with his assignments. And then I talked to him about the assignments. And I'd, I'd say to him, well, you know, um, this is how you should write this. And we used to start off by looking at the grammar and the sentence structure and making sure everything was sort of semi-perfect. Yeah. He'd go away, rewrite it, send it back to me, and there was lots of toing and froing first, mm. because he'd, send, he'd email me back, and then I'd correct it, he'd email me back, and then I'd say yeah. to him, well, it's not quite right, do it again, yeah. you know, yeah. put maybe put this in. Yeah. And eventually, he uh, went through all the tape courses mm. at um, Brookvale Tape, yeah. And then he was allowed to go, because his qualification was, he was doing quite well there. And he went to Sydney University, and last year he became a social worker for the Tibetan community. And he's the only person um, for years from the Tibetan community that has actually succeeded and in, is actually in university that's now. And he's he, going to help so many other people. Yes, that's right. Mm. And he's he's starting up programs, teaching the Tibetan community. And then after that, I started teaching on a voluntary basis, yeah. Tibetans. Yeah. They were coming over here, and a lot of them have been through the most terrible time. Mm. Um, running away from uh, Tibet because it was taken over by uh, the Chinese government. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dalai Lama went into exile and they, uh, a lot of Tibetans ran away from uh, sorry, from um, Tibet because um, they'd literally been kicked out of their homes and they had to walk for days mm. 
through the ice and snow over the Himalayas. And Yarlow, the, the guy I was talking about, he he was one of these mm-hmm. students. So he just had to leave home. He had to leave home because he was against what had happened yeah. to his people. And he'd only got to say something like, uh, free to death, yeah. or, you know, say something in support of the Dalai Lama, and they'll actually come around and they'll arrest you, um, mm-hmm. put you into prison, and some people don't even make it out of prison. So you're in the prison for yeah. years and years. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So he um, he's done really well, mm-hmm. and uh, he's working for FACS now, yeah. which is Department of Community Services, mm-hmm. and he's a great social worker because he mm-hmm. knows all about struggle and what it's like to be starving and mm-hmm. what it's like to run away from persecution. Yeah. And it was my absolute honour and pleasure mm-hmm. to teach him. Oh, amazing. Yeah. It must be that's an incredible experience for you to see him succeed like that. Yes, yes. I went to his graduation happened. ceremony and I feel like I'm his Australian mother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, his, both his parents are dead, fortunately. Okay. Yeah. So it would have been a huge support to him. Yes. Not just educationally, but yeah, imagine emotionally as well. Yes, yes. And he's now living in the Blue Mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got married with Beth and his girl, and she's she's absolutely beautiful as mm-hmm. well. And I'm about to sort of start helping her because mm-hmm. she wants to go to university because of. Um, a nurse. Oh. She's working with the elderly yeah. at the moment. Yeah. She's got such a great nature. Uh, lots of Tibetans have. Yeah. Mm. What do you think it is in you that you have that empathy for people that are like for migrants coming here who do like the way you described it before, how awful it must be for them to feel so lost and want to help give them dignity and what is it in you do you think? that has made that become such an important part of your journey to help them? Uh, well, um, because what you do as a teacher is way above and beyond <laughs> what normal teachers do, it really is. Yes. So I just wonder where that I, came from you. I think, I think what, what one part of it is that I sort of, I love the idea of family, mm. but these people, they're, they're sort of like part of my family. Yeah. I don't feel they're my students. After mm. a certain time of spending so much time with them, yeah. I feel like I'm a sister or a brother or a mother or something, yeah. especially if they've come from such disadvantage. Mm. I think, well, it's, it's my duty mm. as a decent person, really, to do everything in my power to help them. Yeah. And um, I just... They've given me so much. Mm. They've given me such uh, a feeling of of empowerment myself. Yeah. I grew up in a very disadvantaged situation myself. Mm. I was um, from a family of four very poor people living in Liverpool, um, in England, mm. north of England. And my mother... Um, unfortunately, was um, a victim of domestic violence from her father. He was very violent. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in this situation where I, I had to help her. Mm-hmm. Even at the age of five, I had to help her mm-hmm. um, be strong to get through it. 
And when I became, when I was 16 years of age, I actually encouraged my mother to get a divorce from him. Mm-hmm. And finally, we were free of him. And um, so I've always been one of these people to try and rescue people. Yeah. I've, I've tried my best not to get too involved, but I can't help yeah. myself. <laughs> it, comes it just comes yeah. very naturally <laughs> to me. Yeah. And um, when I um, started teaching ESL, mm. uh, I realised there was such a need to have... Uh, and You know, teaching is a passion. Yeah. You don't get paid very much, mm. um, and most of the work that I do is voluntary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I get paid more than the the most wealthy teacher, mm. because mm. what I get is this connection back. Um, for for example, I've started up a, a conversation class, which which is held the first Saturday of every month in the northern. Uh, on the northern beaches here mm-hmm. and I get a lot of my students um, from the courses that I run yeah. I have to be very careful because uh, especially if there's somebody from the college listening to this <laughs> uh, because I'm not supposed to give I'm not supposed to be so connected with these yeah. students but I can't help myself yeah. and then once the course is finished I say to them right Yeah. Okay, that's great. Now you can start coming to my English classes, <laughs> and uh, they all come along, and they all and they come, to, your house, they come yeah. to, to my home. Yeah. And I'm very blessed that I've got a, a lovely home, yeah. and it's quite big. And the last session I had, I think I must have had about ten different nationalities, yeah. and we call ourselves the Epicureans. <laughs> Because I don't know if you know anything about Epicurus. No, no. Well, he was um, a philosopher, a Greek philosopher, and he believed that um, you can have conversations through small eats and yeah. good food and conversation and connection. Yeah. So this is what I say to everybody. I say, bring a plate, and I, I say, put something on it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got to be something from your country. So they all come with their different recipes mm. and their different uh, foods, mm. and then uh, we sit down, we have a conversation, and it usually goes on for hours and hours and hours, and at the end of it, we sit down and have a meal together, mm. and then we go away, and we're all happy, yeah. uh, there's no money involved, it's just pure laughter and yeah. connection yeah. and everything. And I can imagine a lot of friendships that way, not absolutely. between the students, but between the students themselves. Yes, and absolutely. Go on helping each other. Yes, um, I've got a lovely lady who's, uh, she's from China, mm-hmm. and it was quite interesting because when I had, I've got some Tibetan uh, ladies coming to the group as well, mm-hmm. and because of the sort of situation with China invading Tibet, she was she had an understanding that she'd never had before mm. about how how they struggled. Mm. And I actually saw her crying. She was sitting in the corner mm. listening to one of the Tibetans talking and how she had to escape across the Himalayas. Mm. And, you know, all her family, she had to leave all her family. Mm. She was only eight and she had mm. to leave with about 70 people at night time mm. and she was afraid that she was going to be shot dead there was no 
light and can you imagine being it was like being blind uh, crawling through the dirt and going over the Himalayas in ice and snow and then reaching um, to Beth, Nepal mm. first of all and then they get met into Nepal and then taken to um, Dar es Salaam in India where the Dalai Lama is in yeah. exile yeah. and she is was in an orphanage uh, for many years and then now she's over here yeah. um, trying to make a life yeah. and I'm helping her and she was round at my house mm. talking about her experience and there's this lady from China sitting there who's had quite a, a privileged upbringing, mm. Chinese upbringing um, that's an accountant over here and she was sitting in the corner listening to all this and she couldn't believe that her government was doing these awful things to, because they don't know, the normal person in China doesn't know what's going on. And they don't know here, like as you're describing that, it's almost impossible to even comprehend because of the way we live in such a less lucky country. Yes. We can't even, like we can imagine it. Yes. But not comprehend that horror. No. That they must feel. No. And also wow. to be a refugee, being in a refugee camp. Yeah. And seeing your family dying, you know, around you when you at sea and then the government won't allow them to stay and the trauma oh. after trauma after yeah. trauma. It's a wonder that's why I was making yeah. suicide. Yeah. It's desperate. The strength it must take. Yeah, to get absolutely. That. And then on the other side of it coming into a country where there is so much opportunity but you don't know how to access any of it. With that, you know, because you don't have the best support. Yes. Um. Yeah, and then then what do you do? You know, you're free and you're you've got the opportunities, but how do you access it? That's why I love to hear yes. stories like yours and what you're doing, because I think that the solution is connection. It's absolutely and right. between us ordinary ordinary people talking people, yeah. and finding out what's actually yeah. going on. Yeah. I mean, I it's it's nothing for me to open up my my arms mm. and heart to these people because they're they're beautiful, mm. you know. Mm. And also, I've got an awful lot of um, people from South America now, yeah. uh, and all the tri trials and tribulations that are going on in the in South America with drugs and you know the violence. Mm. Um, I remember one lady telling me the other day that um, she. She feels safe. Yeah. You know, she says she can actually open her window at night and listen to the yeah. sea. Yeah. She can go by by the sea, go for a walk by herself without yeah. somebody trying to snatch her phone or yeah. take her back. I think that uh, more people should mm. be prepared to open your heart mm -hmm. and your mind to these yeah. people. What advice would you give to people? So if there's Somebody listening that wants to do something and wants to help create community or create connection, what do you think is, what's something small, a small step they could take? Well, just have a conversation. Yeah. You know, if you see somebody walking around with an abaya on, yeah. you don't sort of suddenly think they're a terrorist. Yeah. You yeah. sit down by the side of them and you just say, hello. Yeah. Hi, how long have you yeah. been here? You know, yeah. even if they can't speak English, mm -hmm. they will understand a smile. Yeah. They'll understand a kind gesture. Yeah. 
uh, and just open your heart and your mind. Yeah. You know, um, I think we we we've all got the capability mm-hmm. to help somebody. Yeah. And um, it's very easy to do. Yeah. It's just a case of um, just talking. Yeah. Just being open. Being well. open. Yeah. And that listening, that's the other yeah. thing, listening. Yeah. Listening to somebody. Yeah. Let them tell you their story. Mm. You'll be surprised yeah. how quickly you'll be taken in by the whole thing. And before you know it, you'll be doing what I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your plans next? What do you have on the agenda coming up? Because it sounds like you've always been evolving your plans and yes. doing more and more. Yes, what that's right. What are you right. thinking about at the moment? Well, uh, my passion at the moment is um, helping people that are struggling with uh, drug and alcohol problems. Mm. Um, Unfortunately, my daughter um, got addicted to prescription drugs Mm -hmm. and her life completely unraveled. Mm. Um, And... uh, Anyway, she's she's much better now, mm-hmm. but um, I'm actually going to start working for the Salvation Army, who mm-hmm. saved her life on a couple of occasions. And actually, the Salvation Army have been very good for years to me, because uh, when I couldn't find a place to teach the Tibetan refugees, because for three years I ran classes in uh, DY, yeah. And I've got to ha- got to say a very big thank you to the Salvation Army at DY mm. because they were the only place that I could get a teaching space, and, that, and they went uh, saying, "Oh, you know, they're not Christian. They can't, you know, you can't. You've got to teach them about Jesus." Mm. I am an actual Christian, yeah. but I'm also I think I'm I'm in everything because yeah. I like. I yes, I'm. Uh, I think they call it agnostic, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Um, because I believe in everything. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've spent time in India. I've, mm. I've been talking to Tibetans. I know a little bit about Buddhism. Yeah. So I think I'm a bit of an everything talk, yeah. sort of person. Yeah. And um, what distressed me at one stage is that I was trying to get a teaching position, um, teaching vo- on a voluntary basis. Uh, these Tibetan refugees mm. and the only people that would allow me to teach the Tibetans without having some sort of religious connotation mm. in the lessons was the Salvation Army mm. and so I was teaching down at the Salvation Army in Fisher Street Fisher mm. Road in, mm. in BY and uh, Marie Shriver she's the captain there I want to say a big big thank you if mm. you're listening <laughs> and um I did that for three years, and then um, because of my other work, I was working for for uh, a college, a local mm-hmm. college. I won't mention the name. <laughs> and then I was getting all the students from there. Mm-hmm. But now I'm thinking of going back to the Salvation Army, but working with the drug rehabilitation mm-hmm. in um, William Booth House in Zicky, mm-hmm. uh, because there are a lot of people there that. Um, because of drugs and alcohol addiction, mm. they missed out on being a child. Mm. They missed out on the basic learning blocks of how to become a decent citizen, 
the, of this beautiful country we live in. Mm. And so I want to start helping them. Mm. And uh, I think that's where it's I'm going now. That's really isolated. Absolutely mm. isolated. Yeah. Um, and this is something this, it can happen to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the drugs are growing. Wherever you talk, whenever you talk to anybody, yeah. if you say to them, "Do you know anybody with a problem with drugs and alcohol?" they will say, "Yes, I do." Yeah. Yeah. And um, I would say there's, that's another yeah. disadvantaged group of people. So I think that's where I'm heading now, next next yeah. journey. But my conversation yeah. classes are still going on, yeah. and they will continue for as long as I live. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been so fascinating. But I can, can I ask you one more question? Yes. I ask everyone at the end of the interview if you could write a letter to your yesterday, what would you write to it? So basically, just is there one piece of advice you have learnt over the years that has really stood out to you that you would love to share with your younger self? Oh, that's a difficult one. It is. It's a hard one. It is difficult. Mm. I would just say. Um, to be strong mm -hmm. and to go with your gut feeling on mm -hmm. what you want to do in your life. I've always tried to sort of do the best I can for people. Mm -hmm. I think more of them than yourself. So I think I've been pretty good doing that. Yeah. But yeah. I think also for your own mental health, mm -hmm. you have to look after yourself as well. Because um, I tend to sort of I burn up a bit, you know, mm. sometimes because I put so on much. too much, mm. and then sometimes I fall in a heap, and I think <laughs> my husband says, "Well, I told you." you know? <laughs> um, but I do surround myself with love as much as I can. I've got very, very good friends now. Mm. I've got a beautiful husband mm. who's always been very supportive of me. I've got two brilliant children, and I'm about to have a, a new grandchild. Oh, wow. And I'm very blessed like mm. that. And um, I love animals as well. Yes, I mean, there's beautiful ducks here. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. That's this. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to Letters to Our Yesterday. If you enjoyed this conversation and feel inspired to, please take a moment to rate and review or share it with someone you love. If you'd like to connect with me or find out more about this podcast and my book which shares the same name, please visit my website, karensepulveda.com. Thank you again, and don't forget to subscribe to hear more conversations with extraordinary women.